2: Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of New Books Network. This is Morteza Hajizadeh, your host from Critical Theory Channel. Today I'm honored to be speaking to Professor Peter Stansky. Dr. Peter Stansky is an Emeritus Professor of History at Stanford University. He has published extensively on the the cultural, political, and literary milieu of 20th, 20th century Britain, including The Unknown Orwell in 1972, Orwell and the Transformation, 1980, and 1980, and both these books um, were finalists for the National Book Award. Today, he's here to talk to me about the wonderful book he published with Stanford University Press called uh, The Socialist Patriot, George Orwell and War. Peter, welcome to New Books Network. Thank you very much for having me. Can you briefly introduce yourself to our audience and tell us how he became interested in history and how he became a professor of history at Stanford University, and more importantly, how I'm I'm sure uh, you're you're a big fan of uh, George Orwell. Tell us where that love came from and how this book came about.
1: Well, actually, in the book, uh, I have a sort of autobiographical introduction where I try to answer that question. I came to Stanford University (laughs) because they offered me a job, (laughs) which is very good of them. Uh, 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 So, you know, I didn't know where... Uh, I necessarily would end up teaching and, and, and writing. Um, but as I say in the introduction, uh, I became interested in all wealth. Uh, I read, uh, as you know, 1984 was tremendously successful. And it was a selection of the Book of the Month Club in the United States. Uh, and my parents were members of the Book of the Month Club. I was a senior in high school. Uh, when it came out uh, in secondary school and so I think I read it then Um, uh, but then when I was an undergraduate at Yale uh, I ultimately wrote a senior essay Uh, I've always been interested and it's been sort of a theme in the work I do uh, uh, where literature society politics culture intersect uh, but I've always been interested in it as a historian I'm not a literary critic uh the, what I try and do with my work is is to understand England better and and use use uh, what work I do uh, to that purpose I've always uh, uh, been very interested in not connect with Britain at all in a sense in, in the Spanish Civil War and and uh, somehow, uh, I wrote a senior essay, uh, uh, senior thesis, uh, when I was undergraduate on, on four Englishmen who had been involved in the Spanish Civil War. Uh, the two who were killed there: Julian Bell, Virginia Woolf's nephew, George Cornford, and then two uh, and George uh, Stephen Spender, who didn't fight but was involved with the war, and and uh, then George Orwell. So I'd always been interested in Orwell, and, and there was a great upsurge, uh, obviously, ever since Animal Farm in 1984, but actually, I think it was in 1952 or three, just when I was working on this, that Homage to Catalonia, his wonderful book about the Spanish Civil War, uh, was published, Was republished it, had done, it hadn't sold well for various reasons uh, when it was originally published. And, and, um, so, and then some years later, um, the project emerged about uh, uh, writing an expansion with a, my collaborator, William Abrams, uh, writing an expansion of, of, of that book. A book appeared that was published in 1966, uh, Journey to the Frontier, uh, which was about Cornford and Bell. But then there was a different book about Orwell, uh, it might or might not have been particularly biographical, and I discussed this in the thesis. It's a wonderfully complicated story. I won't go into it here, but sort of rather dramatic. Uh, the difficulties with with uh, Orwell's second wife, Sonia Brownell, and, Cop, uh, uh, and what Orwell thought about biography. Uh, but it was through an interest in English society and the Spanish Civil War that initially got me interested uh, In in Orwell, Uh, and then as you mentioned, I did William Abrams and I published these two books, which were never meant to be a complete biography. And the two books, the second one ends with his coming back from from Spain, Uh, but in a way, it also served to unblock the biographical logjam that had taken place because of Sonia's lack of cooperation. And it was always a question of how seriously. Orwell said he didn't want a biography, but but Richard Rees, his literary executor, uh, said to us uh, that that he didn't think Orwell meant that very seriously, and he in fact urged us to write a book about Eric Blair, which, as you know, is is Orwell's real name. He never changed it. Uh, George Orwell was his uh, was his writing name. Uh, so in any case. uh, uh, you know, and over the years, i would written, been published in two little collections of essays, and and other, you know, I've written pieces about Orwell, uh, but then somehow I was there was a Orwell exhibition at the University of New Mexico, and I was asked to give a talk about it, and somehow the topic emerged uh, uh, that I would talk about Orwell, Orwell and his relationship to war. Now, there's so much written about Orwell. Uh, obviously, this has not been neglected, uh, but most intention, including where I've written myself, uh, has, has been to the Spanish Civil War and to the, to the Cold War. I don't think sufficient weight, although it's not ignored, uh, it, it, it has been given to uh, the Orwell's Connect uh, being influenced by the First World War. When of course he was uh, uh, an adolescent, uh, and and uh, the Second World War, uh, and and um, so, uh, if I may say so, I think the most original contribution of my short book uh, is 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 the discussion of those two of those two wars.
2: Uh, yeah, and you rightly called the book Orwell and War," and that's that's something we'll talk about soon. Um, it would be good if you could give us a little bit of background about George Orwell himself. He was born in India, his family, maybe his influence of his family. And I'm really interested in understanding what he meant when he said that uh, he was of a lower upper middle class. What did he mean by that phrase?
1: Yeah, well, he very famously says, uh, uh, I'm a member of the lower upper middle class which means that a member of the upper middle class, but without money. And, and, uh, you know, class in England, uh, is tremendously important. Sometimes Orwell was characterized as being an outsider, and I think it's quite untrue. I mean, he belonged to the official classes, uh, and, and, and his father, as you probably know, w- was a civil servant at not a very high level. Engaged in, in organizing the cultivation totally legally the cultivation by the British government of opium in 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 India, and so um, Orwell, was he had an older sister. Uh, he was born in India, but when he was six or seven months, uh, he his mother and his sister uh, went to England, um, and where he went to, and they went to uh Henley on Thames also the very interesting thing, and to me, it's a wonderful example of how quite legitimately uh current interests uh shape uh what what we look at now, the basis uh, for the family fortune, which was no longer existing in Orwell's by the time Orwell was there but but which gave the family its class status uh was his great grandfather. Uh, Charles Blair, uh, who was a Jamaica slave owner, so 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 in fact uh, the family money uh, came from plantations in Jamaica and and from slavery. Uh, Orwell's grandfather uh, was was uh, maybe Charles Blair was his great great grandfather. I keep never getting it quite straight, but anyway, his grandfather uh, was a vicar, you know, which has a been, you know, fairly high uh, uh, on the whole class status in Britain. Uh, and and uh, But his father was, I think, the 10th child and had no income. I mean, he had to earn his keep as a civil servant. And they were never particularly well off. But nevertheless, he, he had that class position. And that class position was, uh, I know, it was reinforced. He went on half fees. Uh, to to uh, a prep school where uh, people of his class uh, were sent off when they were eight um, to these boarding schools. And of course, he wrote a very famous essay about it and about how horrible it was, uh, 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 which he wrote in the 1940s. It's thought, it's not absolutely sure, uh, called, called uh, Such, Such Were the Joys. But nevertheless, um, and we interviewed because she was still alive. The headmistress, whom he's very mean about, in in uh, his essay and uh, Mrs. Vaughan Wilkes. and she said said to us, my collaborator and myself, "Oh, Eric, I tried to treat him well." Uh, she must have known about the essay, but she it wasn't published in England because of her still being alive because of libel until until after her death, though it had been published um, after Orwell's death, but before our death uh, in, in, in the United States. And in many ways, I think he received a very good education there. and he, But strangely enough, in Such Such were the Joys, he, he says, I remember the city the of the Titanic, of course, right now in the news. Uh, uh more vividly uh than the barrel of the Marne during the second or first world war so in the essay such such were the doors, he doesn't surprisingly perhaps uh doesn't talk much about the war itself but and, and interestingly it was written just before the second world war began in a very important short essay called uh england uh my country right or wrong Uh, uh, He talks about, what should one call it, the militarism of of his, uh, when he was at school. That he was a member of the cadet corps, that he had bought a rifle when he was 10. Uh, They provided an honor guard. The first three years of the First World War, he was in his prep school. This prep school, uh, you know, these schools were designed, both the prep school and of course he, as we can say, talk about he went on to Eden. One reason for him being accepted on half fees was that he was a bright child who would give credit to the university by earning a scholarship, which would give it not on need, but on intellectual merit, but that he would win a scholarship to a prominent public school. And as you know, he ended up in 1917, the last year of the war, uh, 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 going to Eton, but but these schools were well, they, in many ways they gave good education, but but they also existed to train the people who went there uh, to become the rulers not only of the state but of the empire, and this was in Edwardian England. The empire was in trouble, the Boer War and so on and so on, but at the same time it was the height of imperial feel, feeling and so so the the whole and all well belonged to an imperial family and 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 at a very low level but nevertheless an imperial family and and uh, so my argument is that this inevitably uh, helped shape him and gave him the the patriotism uh, of, of of my title and he was always intensely Patriotic, you know, which is something of a, 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 a word that you know it has ambiguous feelings, but at the same time, he was ultimately. Yeah, and it was a gradual process, not an immediate project, a, 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 not an immediate event. Uh, he, he he was also a totally committed socialist. Was it? Uh, you
2: made a lot of excellent points that I wanted to ask you, but but it would be great if you could kind of expand on those points. Uh, I wanted to ask about his education in Eton College. As you mentioned, this is a very elite school. Uh, but but I don't think Eton College intended and wanna want his graduates to become socialist in England, especially at that time. And uh, so, so can, he he says, been, yeah, can you tell been, us
1: about how later.
2: yeah, so can you tell us about this gradual shift to socialism? Maybe how did his education influence him later on? And especially at that time when England was was at war and it was the height of, as you mentioned, uh, the the British imperialism was in a state of crisis as well. So how did this gradual shift come about?
1: Well, I don't think it came about. I I think he he didn't do very well at Eaton. He didn't study very hard. Um, There's a debate, which is sort of a tangential point, uh, about whether he wanted to go on to university or not. And and it generally said he couldn't afford to. But I, I think, it, and his tutor advised against it, uh, and his father was against it. But the the um, I think ways could have been found of him going to Oxford or Cambridge, I think. But anyway, that's a what-if uh, proposition. I don't think he was particularly political. If he, if, I don't think he would have been when he was at Eton. Uh, he was iconoclastic. I mean, he questioned things uh, uh uh and and um you know these were very bright cynical and c- cynicism was beginning to to um uh in the early years of the war and of course you, you know uh, my collaborator and I uncovered his very first publication, which he wrote when he was a schoolboy, well <laughs> uh, which was an almost embarrassingly uh, patriotic poem. Mm-hmm. Uh, about how everybody should enlist. Uh, and and uh, he may have been getting, uh, he said to Cyril Connolly, who had been with him both at prep school and Eton, you know, Britain's going to emerge as a second-rate neg- power after the war. So, I mean, I think he was having some doubts. Uh, you know, he, 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 he wasn't a, he, wasn't, he was never a figure of the right. Uh, but but I, I would certainly think he was uh, he, he he was more in the center or maybe didn't think that much about politics uh, when he was a young man and of course as you know he became a policeman a police officer uh, in in Burma for five years and and when he came back to England in 1927 um, again it said he, he, one reason he uh, he left the police that he'd become anti imperialist. I think it's more accurate to say he was having doubts about imperialism, but, but, but the, his main motivation, and I think Orwell as artist is never sufficiently emphasized, in my view, is his main motivation when he quit the police force is that he wanted to be a writer. He wanted to commit himself uh, to, to be a writer. He was moving gradually to the left. But 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 it, it wasn't it, it it wasn't a sudden conversion, and the same is true about his politics. I think I think uh, the two things that made him more and more to the left. Um, the, 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 he wrote this book uh, just before going to Spain for the Left book Club, um, the Road to Wigan where 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 he saw the uh, reported. On on uh, the dreadful conditions of the working class uh, brought about by the depression. At the same time, in the famous and indeed notorious second section of the book, he's very critical of socialists for their style and and their being eccentric and they're not being uh, particular, being sort of uh, well, he's not quite patronizing the working class. Uh, but, but you know, there's this famous description of seeing these uh, men in shorts and sandals and, and you know, sort of a, uh, a middle-class socialists. And he, he felt that middle-class socialists uh, frequently gave socialism a bad name. Uh, but nevertheless, because of the political conditions, he's now moving to the left. And then his socialism, but remember, the famous phrase is, he wrote to Cyril Connolly, I've become a democratic socialist, as I understand it. But it was really the experience in Spain that, that and the wonders of, of when he went to Barcelona in December 1936, uh, how wonderful the atmosphere was that he saw the magnificent society, according to him, that socialism could, could achieve. And that's when he became a committed socialist. It's also uh, uh, when he became a committed anti-communist uh, be, be, because he saw how the Russians and the communists were destroyed, in his view correctly, of course, uh, uh, I think, uh, were were destroying uh, socialism. And that's why of course he's he's uh, sometimes, you know, I characterize him, which is perhaps both unusual. He's both a premature anti-fascist and he's a premature anti-communist. And and and, and one reason that that uh, the homage to did so badly, and and wasn't reviewed very much, is that it took an anti-communist line. And and the majority opinion in in England, uh, who, who were in favor of the republic were sympathetic. They weren't necessarily communists, but they were sympathetic to the communists trying to win the the communists supporting the government, the Spanish government.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com/system all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com/system.
2: And uh, speaking yeah. of speaking of socialism, socialism, how did he define democratic socialism? And you mentioned that the, his 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 involvement in the Spanish Civil War. Had an impact on his on this transition. and Had an impact on his political beliefs. So, and, and he obviously, again, as you mentioned, he he was not a big fan of Soviet Union, Russia at all. And he always, I think, he also in 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 an, in the preface to oh, Animal Farm, I guess, he once wrote that nothing has hurt the idea of socialism more than believing that uh, Russia is socialist is a socialist country. Can you talk about his idea of democratic socialism? And the impact of the Spanish Civil War uh, on the development of his thought.
1: Well, I don't think he ever. He wasn't a. He wasn't a theorist. He wasn't a plan maker. Uh, he, 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 he he he. Well, in, in a way, in, during the Second World War, we can talk about it. Uh, of course, uh, you know, he wrote this extremely important pamphlet, uh, which is getting attention, but maybe not as much attention as it should have. And it's wonderful. The title. Uh, the lion and the unicorn, which of course are the heraldic beasts that support the royal coat of arms, and then then the uh, second the, after the colon, uh, socialism and and the English genius. Uh, and which he argued erroneously as it turned out, uh, that in order to win the war, uh, Britain would have to become a socialist society. Uh, as I say, I, as far as I know, he, he never really outlined a program. Uh, but he didn't believe, you know, the classic Marxist term is, you know, I, I'm not not a Marxist scholar, you know, taking over the means of production. I mean, the state, uh, the state running more and more things, and 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 uh, the, the elimination of to a considerable degree of, I think, of, of private property, the capping of incomes. Uh, the the elimination of the capitalist class, uh, uh, the egalitarian. what he wanted was what he felt was the egalitarianism of, of, of that he found in Barcelona. tipping had been abolished. Senor had been abolished. social uh, the, 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 it's a psychological. I mean, as I say, I don't think he was a, he was not a planner. I mean, he didn't have specifics, Um, but his belief that if the working class weren't financially oppressed, uh, that common decency would triumph. I mean, I think in a way, maybe he was a bit unrealistically, well, he wasn't unrealistic in that, you know, again, we can talk more about it. He recognizes the great... Enemy of socialism, uh, power, and 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 of course that's the great marvel of Animal Farm, but also of 1984, that 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 uh, the pigs, although perhaps with some defects to begin with, uh, but but to begin with, uh, uh, they 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 established a socialist society, uh, but that but then they were so determined to keep power. That it transformed itself into a totalitarian society, and he thought, uh, you know, and I think he's right, but it is not likely to happen. Uh, that that the only way that a socialist society can preserve itself wasn't ideological, but rather that that those in control had to continually change, and 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 the trouble is that those who make the revolution, who may start out with Commendable ideals, nevertheless, power. And you know the famous. uh, Orwell, I know as far as I know, never refers to it. Uh, But 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 there's this the famous slogan or remark uh, by Lord Acton: uh, "Power corrupts; absolute power corrupts absolutely." And and Orwell profoundly believed that, and that the only way that socialism could be preserved. If if the leaders if the leaders of the state the people who are running it uh, changed uh, changed uh, frequently, um, other than Barcelona, where his feelings about Barcelona when he arrived there, uh, as I say, he does, and, and just as it's the comradeship. There's was a famous essay uh, that he wrote looking back on the Spanish Civil War. Where he shakes hands uh, with with the Italian militiaman who's in the same group, he says nothing shatters the crystal spirit. So it's 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 that socialism, according to him, and you know maybe he's overly idealistic, uh, produces comradeship, and 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 also you know there's I haven't really thought that much about it. There's a personal driving in it, in that he wanted to be. Again, it's the ironies of what happens in British 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 society. Uh, he wanted to be more with the working class, and and and, and the wrote to Wigan Pier has a wonderful description, a rather romanticized description of of a working class family sitting around the uh, sitting around the fire. Uh, but the irony, of course, where it, it was when he was do, tramping, as as uh, which he didn't really need to do for financial reasons. He was really doing it in order to find material to write about. He was taken, as he as in a sense accurately, as an Etonian uh, down on his luck. Um, and you know he kept up uh, Etonians. Uh, well, Cyril Connolly didn't realize at first that George Orwell was his old friend Eric Blair. But but uh, Etonians. Richard Reese was an Etonian. David Astor, who employed him, where on the observer, was an Etonian. So in some senses, he he did profit uh, from from uh, L. H. Myers, who gave him the money to take his health restoring uh, after the Spanish Civil War a vi- a visit to Morocco, uh, was an Etonian. Um, so, in a sense, uh, he, he, he didn't reject uh, his education, and and actually, uh, he, to, maybe I'm digressing too much. But but uh, in the in uh, the lion the unicorn, uh, you know, he famously says uh, inaccurately uh, that the public schools will be eliminated, uh, but. England will still be England as it was. As I say, I think in the book, in in, in many ways, he's a combination of Edmund Burke and and Thomas Paine. And in fact, the public schools weren't eliminated. But again, and this isn't a particularly Orwellian thing, but it, it's part of the way I see whether accuracy or not, uh, British society. In that British society, in the monarchy, which of course is now in. Interesting state of its history. Uh, uh, the monarchy is a wonderful example, and that, that British and the public schools are wonderful examples. Uh, that British institutions are in, in, incredibly capable of changing radically, in order to stay as much the same as possible. And and uh, I, uh, I think I think. Uh, Or, of course, his famous definition in The Lion and the Unicorn, in which he says, Britain is a family. I don't know if he says England, but he says, England is a family with the wrong people in control. Good written aunts, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) bachelor uncles. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is one
2: of his most famous uh, writings, The Lion and Unicorn, Socialism and and the English Genius. But why did he believe that England had to become a socialist country?
1: Uh, Wasn't as much famous, uh, you know. I think more and more attention is being paid to it. It was in the very end. Your the fellow was uh, your uh, Darcy Moore uh, just gave a talk actually uh, uh, to the Orwell Society on on the Lion and the Unicorn. It it was in a series called Searchlight Books uh, that Orwell was and Five. And Fred, were well, the editors and, and Frederick Warburg, or Sebrum Warburg, as publisher, well, published it, uh, and, and he, 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 he said that, that in order to mobilize society efficiently and give the working class, uh, uh, you know, a feeling that they're fighting for what they want, in order to win the war, Britain will have to become socialist. But he was wrong. But there's no question, there's no question that that Britain, the state, it moved towards socialism during the war to a certain degree. And then that it even moved closer to socialism, not quite socialism, but certainly it moved much closer to socialism with Orwell's approval uh, in the welfare state uh, after the war. But 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 it is uh, you know it, it, one of the it, it one of the books that he published in the searchlight series, uh, which I write about in a book I've written called The First Day of the Blitz, in in, in which Ritchie Calder uh, wrote that the first day of the Blitz, September seventh, nineteen forty, is going to be being born as, as important in British history as Bastille Day uh it was it was in france uh in that the state realized that it had to be more proactive it had to cope with the blitz and 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 also that it had to cope it had to deal with everybody before the war. The feeling was that the state should only help the deserving poor the worthy worthy poor those who somehow had better character. Or were in financial difficulties not through their own fault or whatever, but then the conception did grow during the war, and all was part of it uh, that that everybody, all the inhabitants of the state, uh, have to be treated equally, and in a way that's a, that's a definition of socialism, uh, you know, that the rich should not be better off or have privileges everybody should be at the same level which of course hasn't happened but 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 I think that's an ideal of socialism uh that 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 Orwell believed it but he was never very specific he does have a list uh of, of what he says will be true after the war but most of them are inaccurate you know the House of Lords will be eliminated but it's one of a uh, uh, no, my uh, 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 my nephew is because uh, my sister married an Englishman, and my nephew is a member of that a peer life peer. Uh, the 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 the, the, uh, the House of Lords. You know, it's much weaker than it was, but it hasn't been eliminated despite Orwell's prediction. As I say, the public schools haven't been eliminated despite uh, uh, public schools. The country homes haven't all become, I think he thinks they've become rest homes or something. The National Trust is a wonderful example of a British institution that allows the upper classes frequently to stay in their houses. Um, but there have been changes, but they, they, Orwell said that these changes will be inevitable and necessary. And, and in that sense, he was wrong. But nevertheless, it, he projects an ideal uh, that that uh, you know I personally think is terrific. Not that it will ever be achieved. And, and uh,
2: earlier, you mentioned that uh, Jojo has always been popular, but I guess in more recent, especially in the past seven or eight years, there has been a renewed interest in Orwell's writings, especially his fiction, nineteen eighty four and Animal Farms. And I guess part of it has to do with the rise of populist, uh, politicians around the world and maybe the United States. But one thing that has always kind of puzzled me was that a lot of people, right-wingers, I mean, conservatives, sort of appropriate Orwell's uh, writings, or they say it's an Orwellian world, whereas we know that if they read some of Orwell's writings, even may not agree with them anyhow. But the question I have, why is it that uh, why is it that a lot of uh, conservatives or even right-wingers uh, who constantly denigrate socialism sort of appropriate uh, George Orwell's words?
1: Well, and, 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 yes, that's true. Uh, and, uh, to walk uh, back a little to what you began with, I mean, the thing that to me, which is quite fascinating, uh, 1984 on an Animal Farm, well, uh, Newsman said accurately, uh were the, probably the most important cultural documents of the cold war and 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 to show you know the evils of uh, orwell never wanted russia to be overthrown to the communist regime to be overthrown he just wanted it not to be influential uh, outside of uh, outside of russia and so uh and orwell said there's this extreme danger because of the love of power of socialism being perverted. But but it doesn't mean that it has to happen and it's still, the world should be socialist. And when the right, particularly in the United States, tried to appropriate uh, 1984, you know, and it was published months before his death. But but nevertheless, he had a time to is, issue with Life magazine and elsewhere denials. I'm a socialist, I'm a supporter of the Labour Party, and 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 uh, I profoundly disagree with people saying it's a, a document to show that socialism is I- inevitably bad and evil. Um, uh, you know, but but uh, that uh, uh, that uh, continued, and you know, it's inevitable, uh, uh, and there are fights about this. Uh, there were fights about it in uh, 1984, uh, where Norman Podoritz, uh tried to co-opt Orwell to the right, and Christopher Hitchens was the figure of the left. And then, uh, ironically, in two thousand and three, where Hitchens has become more conservative, he was more the Orwell of the right, and 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 uh, Stephen Colini and others uh, defended Orwell of the left. But uh, let's see. I think I'm getting away from your basic question. But 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 I think I think that now, it, to me, it's quite wonderful and amazing. No, uh, oh, not amazing. I I think there there are two reasons uh, that particularly 1984 has had this vast uh, rise in popularity, and you know all the talk about AI is 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 significant. I think now the Cold War aspect of it. It's there, of course, but it's less important. And now it's the, the power of the computer and and how the computer can change things and control things and rewrite the past. Uh, I, 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 I I think that's what's captured the imagination. And also the other thing that's wonderfully ironic is is Trump. Uh, 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 has been absolutely fabulous uh, for Orwell, and and uh, alternate facts. Uh, when his press agent or you know press person you talked about alternate facts and alternate reality and so on and so on, uh, sales of 1984 skyrocketed, and uh, the the whole idea that you could re- which of course is a premise of of and. Uh, well, of course, well, maybe the zoom is part of it. Uh, we haven't quite gotten to the era of 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 telescreens, but the feeling that that these machines and other people uh, know much more about us uh, than we might wish. Uh, that that sort of well, I wouldn't say it's apolitical, but it's obviously not the same as the Cold War. Uh, that aspect of 1984, I think is a major factor in in it being so intensely popular, uh, and 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 Orwell, uh, you know, he died seventy years ago. Uh, uh, he died in January nineteen fifty, more than seventy years ago, and and uh, he's probably better known now. Well, he, in the last five years of his life, he was very well known. Uh, but he, 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 he he's now probably better known uh, than he ever was before uh Professor
2: Peter Stansky thank you very very much for uh, taking the time to talk to us about your wonderful book The Socialist Patriot George Orwell and the works wonderful book and yes
1: this- <laughs> I hope I hope it somehow will be available if if, if, if your listeners uh, and here, uh, Wish uh, to purchase it. I don't think it'd be in bookstores, but I, I think it's, it's on various sites. Uh, it should be available. It's a short book, but it's also at a mother's price.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a short book and it's very easy to read and it's highly informative. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for interviewing me.